Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. And joining me to take your questions this evening are Greg Katanellen-Bogan from Sunlam Private uh, Wealth and Nilash Hansji from Old Mutual Investments. If you'd like to send those questions to us, please SMS 41392 or email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. Let's start off with those interest rates decisions that we got from the big central banks and particularly the Fed. Um, starting with you, Greg, what kind of signal did you get from the major central banks? Well, I think this, the big uh, signal from the Fed is that uh, they do believe that um, they're coming close to the end of the rate hike cycle. That doesn't mean that they're going to start cutting rates. I don't think they might do that for uh, 2023. But uh, with 25 basis points starting to slow the the interest rate hikes, um, because the Fed mentioned the dreaded D word, disinflation, and they feel that disinflation is, is starting to take hold. So. <clears throat> Um, they do believe that maybe inflation has peaked, but it will be um, a little sticky for a while. But um, I think that, uh, that you know, it takes uh, a while um, for interest rate hikes to work its way through the economy. And they haven't, they've been raising now eight straight meetings in a row and haven't given things a chance to work. So I think as the pace slows, this is why the market has taken some uh, comfort from that because if you're starting to go into a disinflationary uh, scenario, you know, that will push up, uh, that will be good for what they call long duration stocks uh, because interest rates and bond yields should uh, come down or at least uh, not rise any further. So the market took some comfort from that. I'm just wondering why so much comfort though, uh, coming to you, Nilash, because they really tried their best to talk tough as much as they say uh, they said that um so i'll quote uh, we can now say um i think for the first time that the disinflationary process has started but then the fed also says we will need to substantial we will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a sustained growth path a downward a path and then ongoing increases in the target range um also saying that given our outlook i don't see us cutting rates this year they seem to really be talking tough. I'm just wondering why the market is finding so much comfort, even amid those those words. Nilash, uh, do you care to go for a go? Sure. Um, I think firstly, it's, you know, it comes down to the pace, right? I mean, we started last year, uh, you know, big words, recession, you know, balance sheets, uh, you know, in, in such a bad state, record, you know, Fed balance sheets are very high, tightening, you know, all these big words. Uh, energy crisis globally, uh, commodity prices were, were high, and you know we had to do something. And the rate, the pace of rate hikes just went. You know, they they put the gas on the rate hikes. You know, went from zero to 180 kilometers an hour in six months. And all of a sudden, we've seen you know the impact. Inflation has come down, uh, and that trend is continuing. And I think it's just given us the comfort. You know, as Greg said, is that uh, the Fed's acting. Uh, they were put in top position, they acted, they acted aggressively, and that's worked, and we've seen the data. And, and now they're just stepping off the gas a little. So they're going from 180 to 120, and the market's getting optimistic. I think the second thing is, like, you know, we, we, we had, like, huge changes in, in the global environment. China has now reopened. Mm. Gas prices in the Europe have come down. Um, you know, we're no longer talking about a European recession. 
you know, those are all from, I think, our starting point, you know, expectations and <laughs> where we are today, uh, you know, is giving us all those levels of comfort. Ah, all right. Well, let's get into uh, some of the questions that have come through for today. Uh, quite an interesting one uh, that came through today. With the current market in mind, are there any shares of businesses that have good potential to recover to their previous highs? Uh, what's your expert's opinion on this? Greg? Yeah, um, I, I definitely think so. I would, the one off the top of my head would be Sassel. I think that Sassel has, I think its previous high was in the 600s. And um, I certainly think that uh, over the next 12 or 18 months, uh, can't really be specific about that, but uh, it's definitely a stock that I think at some stage will uh, exceed its previous high. Oil price around in the $80 now, but I expect it to go over $100 over the course of this year. And I think uh, Sassel, you know, having reduced its debt considerably and uh, chemical prices starting to recover quite nicely, I could easily see Sassel achieve its uh, previous high. Ah, all right. Yeah, and indeed we have seen uh, those oil prices filtering through to these oil giants, including Shell today that came out with results uh, that reported uh, record profits and also boosting uh, its share buyback. Uh, on your side, Nilash, uh, any of these counters that you see uh, maybe going back to their, their previous highs? Um, I think another interesting one is Anheuser-Busch. Um, it's one that's you know, been lagging the kind of global recovery every, you know, just uh, from from kind of the global um, peer volume recovery. Two is they've got great brands. Uh, the brands are, you know, <laughs> everyone knows and has the brands. And two yeah. is they position in emerging markets. I think, you know, when you have a, when you have a position where uh, rates are potentially peaking, the dollar is peaking, that's good for emerging markets. Uh, is you seeing a bit of a consumer recovery, or at least some easing on the on the consumer side, and the brands are what people want. People have been going out there. People have been having a good time. People have been drinking, and one of the things they drink is beer. Secondly, as a big global brand, they have pricing power, uh, and we've seen just the commodity price input. So it's like barley, and the milling for the beer cans have all been coming down. So there's a bit of time for that stall uh, to play out and recover. Yeah. Um. Any thoughts, uh, for example, on uh, Roynet? Because, for example, here in South Africa, in this market, you have uh, companies that will be benefiting from uh, the inefficiencies of ESCOM. And I actually had a conversation with the CEO of Roynet uh, about the uh, expansion of the renewable unit. So maybe any of those that will benefit from the load shedding that we, that we are seeing. Greg, Anilash? Yeah, well, look, in terms of uh, load shedding, uh, Roynet is a good company, so that's that's quite possible. I mean, if you, um, you know, obviously you expect uh, load shedding to be around for uh, quite some time, so uh, give them a chance. But I think, um, you know, if we solve our energy uh, problems, then uh, things will go back to... To normal, but I, I, I you know, Roynet is, is is a good quality company, and uh, while you have energy uh, problems and people need energy solutions, it's it's not a bad stock. Yeah. Anything to add on Roynet, Anilash? Yeah, I mean, it's the the management team have done a tremendous job. I mean, that that's a very experienced management team uh, who went through a pretty tough time in the past two years, and you're seeing the benefits of 
of what they've sown over the past years begin to materialize. They've got the cables division, uh, they can supply cables, they've got the solar solutions, um, you know, and a whole lot more. So that's just one that that's, you know, just at the right place at the right time uh, with the leverage to, to, to drive it. Ah, all right. Talking about right place and right time, of course, we have China's reopening, and we know that some stocks are set to benefit from that. They already are benefiting. Uh, Nasparas, Richmond, and Exaro. Uh, so the question here, what's the panel's view on those counters? Let's start off with uh, Nasparas. Uh, Greg? Yeah, look, Nasparas has uh, recovered uh, quite strongly from its lows, up almost 100% from, from the low. Um, but don't forget that that group uh, process, uh, NASPES, are buying back shares in huge quantities. That's underpinning the share price. Um, it looks, you know, you don't know with China in the future if there'll be any more. The, the president of China seems to be wanting to control what they call these Chinese champions. So Tencent and a few other companies might still be in the firing line in the future. But at the moment, um, the underpin from the buyback is, uh, has been helping NASPERS and, and process. But if you look at the underlying, what they hold in terms of 10 cent, uh, Chinese tech has been recovering quite nicely. And um, if the Chinese government was to just continue to maintain this hands-off approach as they have now for the last couple of months, then you could see Chinese tech continuing to do well. But don't forget, against that, you must uh, the background of tensions between the United States and China, and the, you know, for the control of, of uh, technology. So. Um, it, it, Tech companies on both sides of the Atlantic could be caught up in, in that battle. But uh, at the moment, while they still have all this cash to buy back shares, it should underpin the NASPAR share price. Yeah, all right. Of course, uh, yeah, we know that Tencent, um, we are expecting a rum ramping up of profits there as they have uh, now new approvals for new games. Um, just in terms of the, the, the uncertainty that we have seen from China, I mean, Nilash, do you think that we have a sustainable turnaround there where we are completely through the worst of it? Or are you, is your sentiment still maybe shaky because of the fact that politics can change at any point. <laughs> yeah, so I think we have seen a big U-turn, right? Like, I mean, for, for the government to change its stance on, on COVID, going from COVID, like a zero policy, to reopening the economy, to trying to stimulate, uh, opening up travel, um, trying to manage the tensions with the U.S. around, you know, the Taiwan war. So, you know, we have seen, you know, some some big changes from the government perspective. I think it's still going to be patchy because we don't really know. I mean, Omicron was the fastest uh, spreading virus. And, you know, you do see local reports of just how how quick that rapid spread is. And just, um, you know, we haven't seen the data of, of improving activity in China just yet to a big degree. But I think, look, the re-rating has happened for a lot of these Chinese stocks. Uh, okay. And that is a big uh, theme. For the sustainability, yes, we still expect a few months that could be a bit shaky, and we are we are clear that there are risks around. Uh, but what we do need to see is the earnings to come through for these companies. So you mentioned Tencent; they do have an advertising business. When economies reopen, people start spending advertisers start advertising on the platforms. Yeah, uh, we need to see the transaction activity and the fintech kick in, and for people just to start playing games. Um, 
uh, just as the supply comes through. So once we see the earnings come delivering, uh, that can then give me underpin, you know, to some of the valuations. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to Richmond, I mean, how much more upside do you expect from this counter um, with the reopening of China, Greg? I, I still see um, a good days ahead for Richmond. I, I, my personal view is share price will eventually go over the 300 rand mark. Uh, Richmond is a, is a quality business. It's got, uh, and their jewelry, uh, um, Masons, as they call them, are shooting the lights out. Um, there is a concern that, uh, you know, their big uh, arch rival in the luxury game, Louis Vuitton or LVMH, you know, they bought uh, an American jewelry store, a chain called Tiffany's. They bought it when it was, uh, you know, doing about half a billion in terms of uh, revenue uh, profits. And uh, since they've taken it over, it's doubled that. So everyone thought they paid a big price at $16 billion, but it <clears throat> seems to be cheap at the price. So they could be, they're looking to move more into uh, jewelry and they could be competition down the uh, the line for Richmond. But at the moment, Richmond has um, some fantastic jewellery brands and uh, some other luxury goods. And I think that uh, we haven't seen really, we've only seen the beginning of the Chinese reopening and uh, the Chinese have plenty of money to spend and Richmond will be a big beneficiary of that. Nila, I actually had a conversation uh, earlier on this week with an analyst that was actually saying that um, he doesn't know how much upside we can uh, anticipate from China's reopening because um, what if because he feels that the base won't be coming from zero because uh, there might have been people that in China, consumers from China that were actually buying online and uh, importing from other countries. So is that uh, maybe something that you're thinking about when it comes to Richmond? I think that's a concern, but I think, uh, look, Cartier, Cartier, the brand Cartier in Richmond is, is well-placed uh, in China. Uh, it's probably got one of the largest um, physical store presence uh, in the country relative to all its you know, competing luxury brands. Um, and like we've seen in the US and like we've seen in Europe, you know, when, when the economies reopened and people just wanted to get out, uh, when you're attending parties, you have weddings, you just have a whole lot of events and people want to look good, they want to feel good. And one of the biggest ticket items they can spend on uh, is jewelry. Um, and as you've seen, you, you might be able to get some earrings, but it doesn't mean you don't have a necklace to match or a watch to match. <laughs> so I think that you could see those continuing purchases. And the Chinese hold you know, the brand and jewelry in very high esteem, um, especially as, as a first gift. I mean, you know, there's tons of things you can spend on yeah. in terms of jewelry. I don't need to tell you that, but yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's, it's, it's a thing that can just uh, continue, especially in a market as big as China, where there's such a big youth population with just like one child policy, you know, so there is yeah. just, you know, one person that has all this wealth that can spend yeah. as much uh, as he wants on the jewelry that he, he wants to feel good about. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the last part of that question uh, on China's reopening is Exaro. Um, Greg, how much uh, benefits are you expecting for Exaro now with the reopening of China and everything that's happening in the commodities market, but also back at home challenges with Transnet and load shedding? Well, I think that's the most important thing, the challenges with Transnet, getting the coal to the 
the ports and then getting it exported. So we could sell much more uh, coal if we could get it uh, to the port. So that is, is, is a negative. I think the other negative for both Exora and, and Tungela has been the fact that after years of uh, boycotting uh, Chinese coal, I mean, Australian coal, the Chinese are now looking to um, import coal again from Australia. So that's taken a little bit of the shine off, particularly Tungela and Exoro. But um, uh, coal seems to be, despite the fact that the world wants to move to renewables for the foreseeable future, that coal should be um, still doing uh, pretty well. And I think that will give, uh, you know, Exoro is a good way to express that. It hasn't shot the lights out like Tungela has, but yeah. um, it's, uh, it's a good company. Yeah, uh, just uh, also expa expanding that uh, conversation from uh, Exaro and Tungela to Kumba as well, um, talking about those transnet issues. They released a trading update today um, saying that their production is only going to increase by about 3% uh, for the uh, fourth quarter, <coughs> saying that sales are going to decline by about 35% uh, for the fourth quarter and then for the year, I think by 9%. Um, just really, really the, the impact, feeling the impact of load shedding and transnet saying that the headline earnings per share are going to decline by about 44%. Uh, Nilash, what are you thinking? Because, I mean, as much as we have this reopening of China, but we really are still struggling with our own goals. No, that, that's exactly it. I mean, this, this, you know, it's whether it's load shedding, whether it's transnet, the, the reality is South Africa is a country we're struggling just to operate at an efficient level and export or take advantage of the great commodity markets that we've had and ability to get it where it needs to go. Um, but what we do need is we do need a lot of um, uh, quick-paced action uh, that you know comes through quickly from government. And I think one kind of hope that we saw today was the Sandal announcement, uh, which impacted some of the construction stocks. I mean, mm. uh, you know, they cancelled Sandal, who provides uh, tender contracts for, for, for large roads or major construction projects. Um, you know, after no in November last year, kind of cancelled a lot of the contracts. So, it's, well, the 2022 cancelled a lot of their contracts amidst their own shakeup. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, more consistent, you know, at least announcements coming through, at least supporting the sector. Uh, and we need more of that to happen in a much quicker fashion um, just to keep these things. But yes, it's, it's still be a headwind. As long as we can't export, mm. it's going to be a, a headwind for, for the, for the yeah. companies. All right. Well, a company that is navigating uh, its headwinds uh, pretty well, MTN. Uh, there's a question here on MTN. We did uh, have those uh, Nigeria results coming out yesterday, uh, even though uh, the uh, subscriber base was hit by those SIM card registration uh, restrictions. They still had uh, quite a big number of subscribers uh, additions there. Um, Greg, I mean, MTN, really quite a resilient one here. Well, <clears throat> those Nigerian results were good. Uh, yeah. Increasing subscribers by about uh, 10%. So... They've done pretty in their revenue in, in Nigeria. Other thing helps them, you know, as the dollar weakens, takes a lot of pressure off the Nigerian currency. So eventually when they can get money out, it's, uh, that could help them. Uh, as, the you know, there doesn't seem to be such a, a liquidity squeeze for the U.S. dollar anymore. And as oil prices rise, that hopefully that will help the Nigerian economy. And uh, anything that helps the Nigerian economy will certainly help will feed through to MTN. So um, 
uh, another good quality stock. Yeah, I mean, just looking at that graph, I mean, uh, it hasn't really shot out the lights out recently, Nilash. Um, would this be uh, a fairly good entry point for MTN? Yeah, I mean, the, the multiples are, are, you know, pretty attractive, but I think there's still risks out there. So, you know, in a changing environment, as Greg mentioned, you know, weaker dollar, stronger oil, which is great for Nigeria. The key thing, as Greg mentioned, is we need to get the money out of Nigeria <laughs> and Ghana, mm. uh, which will, will, will at least give the share the impetus and be able to, to repatriate the cash and do what they need to do with the capital. So I think that's still going to be key. We still have to watch the Nigerian FX because that's one of the, the biggest levers to what they can well, translate those Nigerian earnings back to Rand earnings and get yeah. their money out at. Um, so, yeah, great stock. It is relatively inexpensive, um, but we still think there's still some risks out there. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's get into British American tobacco. Thoughts on BAT on your side, Greg? Well, the stock, you know, it's a fantastic dividend payer and it's been paying increasing dividends for I can't remember how many years. Um, you know, in the 1970s, they flagged litigation as a big problem for them. And we're like 40, 50 years later. And, um, you know, tobacco companies still have litigation against them, but they managed to increase their spending. But that's not without, um, uh, you know, problems because countries around the world, you would have seen now in New Zealand in a few years time, it will be almost illegal to smoke there. Um, the uh, these electronic cigarettes have come under a lot of pressure from uh, regulators and health departments around the world. But the thing about why British, uh, you know, American tobacco has been disappointing because you would have thought that with all the volatility that's been happening in the markets, defensive stocks would have outperformed. And there's, you know, it's one of the real defensive stocks, uh, British American tobacco. So, but as a as a dividend. Um, paying uh, stock it's it's fantastic it pays really good dividends for people looking for income it's a staple in many um, overseas or european pension funds but uh, somehow i just can't see what the catalyst is that will now you know let the stock move up 30 40 or 50 percent I mean, I know that uh, you talk about challenges when it comes to the vapes, um, but you know what I've found interesting is that I've seen that the vapes are not even just attractive to smokers. They're actually attractive to non-smokers. So that's really quite interesting. I think uh, really um, where we'll start to see uh, quite significant growth over there. Uh, Nilash? Yeah, I think that that's one of the key points for British American tobacco, right? It's all about... Uh, what you call it, NGPs, um, new generation products, which is you know what you're talking yeah. about in terms of the vapes. Uh, one of the key points for British American Tobacco to help their earnings uh, in terms of growth is they've invested a lot into all these new generation products, all the the vapes and the views and you know whether it's disposable or non-disposable, uh, and that investment has cost them. And the company has guided to say that we passed the peak in investment. Uh, and these losses will now turn towards a profitability. And if that does play out over the next three to five years, you know, that can give the stock some support just from the earnings perspective. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah. the other two things is um, it's still one of the biggest things as Greg mentioned is this is a classic defensive stock yeah. um, at a time when the dollar is weakening. 
um, and 30% of its business is is in the US. Um, so that does hurt uh, one, you know, the currency does hurt the stock and to its, as the world moves out of a defensive environment, or we're just not seeing a defensive mm. um, market at the moment, you know, it does hurt ETI, which makes it a bit disappointing as we've seen. All right. Uh, well, gentlemen, we'll have to leave it there. There is a question on the NAMPAC rights issue. We don't have enough time for that today, but I'll be back with Stockwatch uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. live, so I'll definitely be asking that question then. Let's get to your stock picks, gentlemen. Greg, what will it be today? Uh, my stock pitch, uh, uh, pick is uh, BHP. 54% uh, of the income comes from iron ore, about 20% revenue comes from copper. Copper is one of the uh, go-to uh, metals for the uh, renewable um, energy. And um, I think we only starting to see the copper price starting to move quite quite sharply. China's reopening. Everything is uh, looking good for the company. And uh, I believe it's uh, still got a great future ahead of it. Uh, and um, uh, I believe we'll see a much higher copper price in the future. And as the world... Europe, America, and China are all in a desperate dash for renewable energy, and uh, they need copper. All right. Well, uh, on your side, Nilash? I've gone for Raubex. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen Sandrell uh, start awarding tenders again and to the local construction companies, of which one was to Raubex. Hmm. Um, as the Raubex share price has just been, uh, you know, had a terrible. Um, run over the last few months, falling all the way from 30-something rand all the way down to the 20s. Um, because uh, Sandra has gone through its own issues, it stopped awarding tenders, and now it's back again. And we hope Rabex can be a big beneficiary of that going forward at, at a point in time when we need infrastructure spend. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and analysis today. My guests are Greg Katanilin-Bogan from Sundam Private Wealth and Nilesh Hansji from Old Mutual Investments. Do catch the Friday edition of Stockwatch tomorrow afternoon at 1 p.m.